Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, now offering an online master's degree in teaching. A state license can be earned after the first summer semester with an opportunity to teach grades 7 through 12. Accepting applications now through May. More information at education.olemiss.edu. Good morning. It's 830. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a federal district court ruling saves Mississippi's last abortion provider from shutting down. And a look at how the Republican-backed American Health Care Act will change insurance coverage and replace the Affordable Care Act. Then, after StoryCorps, our follow-up on living through spring allergy symptoms with Dr. Marshall. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi's only abortion provider will remain open. This after a federal court ruled to block the state's law to require hospital admitting privileges the provider couldn't fulfill. The Jackson Women's Health Organization sued the state before the law was to take effect in 2012, setting off back-and-forth legal action. Shannon Brewer, director of the organization, tells MPB's Alexis Ware they are in support of the court's decision to block the law. We felt it should have never gone this far in the first place so we're just glad that we're finally finished with that after what four years four or five years now i don't even know how much time has passed now so what were some of the potential fears that you had if the law had been passed well if the law had been passed then we were going to have issues with having doctors to work because none of the hospitals were going to give them the admitting privileges which would have meant we had to close down and closing down, what would that mean for the community and for Mississippians? I mean, that means for the for a woman, you give her choice up. As far as Mississippi, she doesn't have a choice anymore. Being that we're the only facility here, you're basically taking that choice from her. So going back to the admitting privileges, um, can you speak a little bit about that and why that is an issue? All of our doctors would have had to apply to be on the staff at these hospitals, which we did apply. And, of course, none of the hospitals accepted it. So in order for you to even be on the staff or to be to have admitting privileges with the hospital, you have to live here locally, and most of our doctors don't live here locally. They put the admitting privileges in place or, or try to put the admitting privileges in place um, as another one of their trap laws because it serves no purpose that our doctors need to have admitting privileges at a hospital when that's what hospitals are for is to see patients on an emergency basis. So the, the law itself serves no purpose, but they were so busy trying to get the facility closed down, and that's what they were working on. 
not the health care of women or if women are being taken care of or and all of that. They're, they just their main focus is closing the clinic. And as Mississippi's only clinic that provides abortions, why is it extremely important to you that your door stay open? Because I believe all women deserve that choice. I don't believe somebody else should should make that choice for me if I were to get pregnant. I think that's a choice that me, my doctor, my significant other, whomever, that's a choice that we need to make on our own. That's not for the next person to tell me what I need to do with my body. So I think it's very important that women are given that choice in every state. And without this clinic being here, you've basically taken that choice away from them. So now that this particular law has been stopped in its track, what do you hope happens moving forward? What I hope happens is that we don't have to go through anything like this again. But, of course, we know that's not going to happen. They've spent over a million dollars on this one case. And you think that's fair to spend millions of the taxpayers' dollars for the state when all of the taxpayers aren't pro-life? So why is it fair that you spend all of this money on one law that serves no purpose for the women of Mississippi? Shannon Brewer is the director of the Women's Health Organization in Jackson. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. Tanya Britton is a board member at Pro-Life Mississippi. She tells our Alexis Ware her organization is against the court's ruling but won't give up the fight. Well, of course, we're disappointed. Not surprised, but disappointed. It seems that the courts don't understand or the courts have decided that they know better than our legislature uh, when it comes to uh, what is best for the people in the state of Mississippi and specifically uh, in this instance for families. I'm not an attorney, and so I am sure there um, are a lot of little things that, you know, happen uh, in courts to challenge the, the legality of a law based on a bunch of technicalities. But from what I understand, the major opposition to the legislation was that women would not be able to get an abortion if the state required uh, an abortion facility uh, to meet a standard of care that would be equal to the standard of care rendered uh, to women undergoing any other kind of surgery other than an abortion. And why do you feel that that regulation was necessary if it would, in particular, harm the existing clinic that provides that service? First of all, uh, when you have physicians who come in and out of a city and travel around the southeast committing abortions at various abortion facilities, they have no vested interest in our community. They have no vested interest in our citizens. They come in if a woman is harmed. Uh, they're gone the same day that the abortion is committed. And so uh, a woman then is left at the mercy of going to an emergency room, seeing a doctor who has never seen her before. Many women are notorious for not divulging the full information about their abortion. Some of them may not give accurate information as to how far along they were. When the doctor does not have a vested interest, he's not there. If the woman starts hemorrhaging or has other problems, once he's left the state, and if you are operated on under any other circumstance, 
the surgeon would be uh, your primary care provider, the person who would see you in the event of a complication from your surgery. People want to make abortion like it is, you know, getting a tooth pulled, you know, and that it's no big deal. And it is a very big deal. And it is such a big deal that whether you agree with abortion or not, you should at least want the mother to get good care. You know, where's the accountability? There are places that young women can go uh, for holistic care, and an abortion facility is not that place. They are there to sell a product, and their product is to take the life of a child for money. Pro-Life Mississippi's Tanya Britton with our Alexis Ware. Governor Phil Bryant supported the law. A statement from the governor's office says, quote, Governor Bryant remains committed to making Mississippi the safest place in America for an unborn child. In other news, Mississippians enrolled in the Affordable Care Act could find themselves paying more for health care coverage under the Republicans' proposed plan to replace the program. The American Health Care Act, which some are calling Trump Care, is a moving target as people struggle to keep up with continual changes. As MPB's Desiree Frazier reports, the measure is still being hammered out in Washington. Rita Moore of Jackson is 62 years old. She has spinal arthritis and a heart rhythm problem. When she shopped for health care coverage this year, she found the Affordable Care Act through healthcare.gov was the best deal. She pays $79 per month, and her copay for brand name drugs is $5. Generics are a dollar. If it wasn't for the benefits I receive under Obamacare for the medications, it would the medical bills would be too high. Moore knows some don't like the plan because people who don't buy health coverage pay a penalty, but she's grateful to have it. The Republican-sponsored bill to replace the Affordable Care Act gets rid of the individual and employer mandates. Teresa Hanna is with the Mississippi Center for Health Policy. She reviewed the proposed American Health Care Act and says some items Mississippians like remain intact. The requirement that insurance companies allow children to stay on their parents' plans until age 26 that stays in place. The requirement that you can't uh, exclude someone because of pre-existing conditions, that stays in place. Also, insurance companies can't put a limit on lifetime coverage. However, the subsidies referred to as tax credits do change. Under the new plan, subsidies are based on age instead of income. Someone who's young, 25, would get like a $2,000 tax credit to buy health insurance. Someone who's older, like 60 years of age, would get a $4,000 tax credit. Hannah says the new subsidies are designed to encourage younger people to sign up. The Affordable Care Act wasn't able to attract enough younger people to offset the cost of covering older, sicker adults. Less than 70,000 Mississippians are enrolled in healthcare.gov. Hannah says about 95% receive a subsidy. Based on the Congressional Budget Office's report, Hannah says low-income and older Mississippians could see their premiums rise. That concerns Kimberly Campbell, who is with Mississippi AARP. Many times now, with, with the Medicare and with the affordable health care plans that they have now, they have to make decisions between drug costs sometimes and groceries. State Insurance Commissioner Mike Cheney says portions of the bill are constantly being rewritten before Congress takes up the measure Thursday. He says an increase in subsidies may be off the table. The proposals that are before Congress today, as we speak, would keep payments about the same as our costs for someone over 50 
and someone of 30 years of age about the same as they are today. Cheney says the biggest change could be to the Medicaid program. The bill would allow states to make changes to eligibility or create a work requirement. Cheney says it's difficult to say what the American Health Care Act will contain until it's finalized. He added the bill won't increase competition among insurers in Mississippi. Cheney says Humana, which is one of two carriers in the state, will pull out at the end of the year. The proposed bill will not impact employer coverage unless it was provided because of the Affordable Care Act mandate. Desiree Frazier, MPB News. Coming up, treating the sneezing, sniffling, coughing, and burning eyes symptoms of allergy season. That's after StoryCorps. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Orders, meetings with foreign leaders. There's plenty to follow in the first 100 days of the new administration, and NPR News will be there, digging deep into the facts and bringing you multiple points of view. Listen every day. Sophie and Paul Wolf live in Jackson's historic Fondren district and publish a magazine there. After a romance that came out of the blue, the two married and settled down into the neighborhood they love to share its story with the world. For them, it's about a relationship that fits perfectly with the place they call home, as they told the StoryCorps mobile tour in Mississippi. We've had a good time since then. I think one of the most interesting thing about our relationship is that we work together. We work on the magazine together, and it's an interesting dynamic because the topic is our neighborhood that we live in, which makes for an interesting work, life, friendship dynamic. Because if someone doesn't like us, or uh, no one doesn't, yeah, I don't feel like anyone has a beef with us, but If maybe someone is upset about something that's going on in the neighborhood and it's something maybe you reported about, it affects us personally. It's our friend group, yeah. And me being the publisher of Find It in Fondren Magazine and you being the editor, we we work together, but we also live and play and shop and do everything else in the same neighborhood that we talk about every single day. Right. They say don't take your work home with you. But that's, (laughs) we live in our work. We live in our work and our work lives in our house and in our personal lives. And we kind of can't separate the two. Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic too. We we live in probably one of the most passionate neighborhoods with really passionate neighbors. Yeah. That um, if something is not right or something feels off, we have a very... Um, local-centered community, and um, if something tries to change that, they're really quick to to jump in and, and say, we need to talk about this. There needs to be community dialogue going on, and, and that sometimes can put us in a weird position because sometimes people want to shoot the messenger, which is really what you are in a lot of ways. The messenger, because I handle the daily aspect of what we do with, with the magazine. And we have the website, finditinfondren.com. And so for us to separate our personal and our work lives is impossible. And we do have a neighborhood that is passionate, but we have a neighborhood that is open and diverse. And at the same time, it's still really it's very small town. And so we have those slow Southern ways of life in so many ways, but we just happen to be in a place 
that is progressive and open-minded, which we love. I mean, I think that's one of the things that really connected us is your passions and your views on the world and society and justice and things were mine. And I had never really found anyone that felt the same way about those subjects that I did. Mm -hmm. And so that was another reason that I finally said, well, what if I miss out on a really good opportunity? And so far, so good. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think you can also kind of say that about the magazine, because you you could not have done what you do now if you had started a year sooner. And if you had been doing it a year later, someone else would have already been doing it. We say that a lot, that you were at the right place at the right time to do what you're doing now, because this neighborhood has grown so much. And it's it's really kind of the it spot for the city. It is. And... I guess that's the theme of our little conversation here, right place, right time. I mean, imagine if you had gone to the seminary two weeks earlier, you had made the decision not to. Right. And so I never would have met you. Mm -hmm. And had you not been working in the job that you were in, you probably would not have run across me either. No, I had only ever talked to you on Twitter before. Right place, right time. To hear more of our conversations from the StoryCorps mobile tour, go to mpbonline.org. The StoryCorps mobile tour visited Mississippi through a partnership with the Mississippi Humanities Council, the MPB Foundation, and Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Press conferences, executive orders, meetings with foreign leaders. There's plenty to follow in the first 100 days of the new administration, and NPR News will be there, digging deep into the facts and bringing you multiple points of view. Listen every day. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Spring is in the air. For some allergy sufferers, this means pollen and other allergens are beginning to wreak havoc on their sinuses. Dr. Galen Marshall from the University of Mississippi Medical Center joins us joins us with ways to get ahead of allergic reactions to spring irritants. This is going to be a nasty spring oh, allergy boy. season. If I have to mow my lawn, I wear a mask. Yes. I wear goggles. I'm covered from head to toe because otherwise I am miserable. Right. And and that is a very sound principle. It's hard to get people to do that, particularly in the summertime, because it's so uncomfortable. But if the alternative is that they're going to sneeze and they're and itch and their nose is going to be stopped up for a day, and they get an increase, you stop up your nose, you have an increased risk of a sinus infection coming along afterwards. Then that's something that I see more and more people taking responsibility for, and they're appropriately uh, masked. And they, they're wearing the protection that you're describing. If you're going to get a mask, the important thing to understand is that you can't just get a painter's mask and just pop it on the little white round Uh-oh. mask on. <laughs> and the reason, but uh, you can use that, but you can't just pop it on because the air will leak around it. And if the air leaks around it, the pollen just comes around the mask. So I suggest people to fit it very carefully on the bridge of their nose and up under their chin. And in some cases, I happen to be one who does this. I just take a little piece of clear tape and put it across the bridge of my nose, and it helps keep that top of that mask where it belongs. So now my breathing is totally through that filtered mask, 
and it works very effectively. If your glasses or the goggles that you wear are steaming up, that's because that breath is moving out up underneath them, which means that when you breathe in, the air comes around the mask, not through it. I know there are a number of over-the-counter remedies. How do you know? Should you try each one to see what works for you? How do you? In the final analysis, you end up having to do exactly what you're describing. Try the ones and see which one works best for you. Now, the one piece of advice that I would give is that all of these have store-equivalent generics that are substantially cheaper than the brand names. So go and look at the brand name in your favorite pharmacy and look right next to it, to the left or to the right, that will be the generic equivalent. It will look exactly the same. And it'll say compare to. Compare to, and it'll be less than half the price. And if there's any question, ask the pharmacist. They're very helpful in that regard. If you're going to try each one, how how long should you give it to, to determine? It's a, that's a great question. Again, remembering the idea that these work best when you take them before you develop symptoms. So go back to our scenario of you cutting the grass. Not only do you put your goggles and your mask on, but you swallow your antihistamine of choice before you go out to cut it, not when you come back in and develop the symptoms. I would say three days in a row are going to give you a good idea of how effective that medicine is, but they wash out of your system in at most two days. So you would separate them by two days. In the middle of the season, you can't do that experiment. You can't have no medicine for a day to make yourself sick. So just take one for three days. If you don't like the way it works, go to another one starting the fourth day and take that for three days. If you don't like that one, go to another one starting on the seventh day. And there's three major non-sedating antihistamines. There's another one, but it's prescription and it's not any better in my experience than the ones that are now currently all over the counter. I know that you and other doctors often talk about uh, using a neti pot. Some people, they they just can't. They hate the idea of it. A neti pot is kind of artsy. I have people that swear by it. I have people that swear at it (laughs) because it's all related to the the hole that's in the neti pot that gets pushed right up next to the hole called your nostril. And then you turn that thing like a teapot, and the idea is to get enough of that action to wash that out without it choking but you your, your head or has spelling to be at a all over you. Angle to- it's, it's very artsy. So uh, they make others that are easier that are mount to little squeeze bottles and that are easier to use. I typically prefer those, and I recommend those to my patients. The key is to find something that can help you wash that nose out on a regular basis. That squeeze bottle, it's more forceful. That's okay? It can be more forceful, but again, you can control the force. You put that squeeze bottle up and squeeze it uh, with a rate and a force that will cause it to come out of the other nostrils. So it goes up, and gravity, so you keep your head enough so gravity here is then it'll wash out the other nostril. It'll come out that way. You use half the bottle that way and then switch nostrils and bring it out the other way. Why that saline solution? What does that do? You can't just use water. Is that right? Water tends to be irritating. Water, I, I know this sounds silly, but water will dehydrate cells. Pure water by itself is very irritating. It's not good to use. Saline uh, uh, can be expensive. And in fact, I have a wonderful little formula that I give patients all the time, and it costs about a penny. And that is to take a quarter teaspoon of sea salt. Sea salt is less irritating than regular table salt because it doesn't have iodine in it. And iodine can be very irritating. And a fourth a teaspoon of regular baking soda. Put those in and add 12 to 16 ounces of warm Warm, not hot, warm water, and now you have made physiological saline that you buy for multiple dollars for the same amount in the grocery store. It's cost you pennies to make. Um, during a cold, you know, not just say 
squirt saline solution to keep your tissues hydrated, right. which makes no sense to me because saline is salt. We have salt inside our, uh, all of our cells. There is lots of salt inside of all of our cells. You want to match the amount of salt in the fluid with the amount of salt in the cell so it's not going in and swelling the cell and bursting it, which is pure water, or it's not sucking it dry, which is if you use the old brine, that that really does. That will blister the inside of a nose because it sucks everything out of the nose, and then the tissues die, and you get the inflammation that occurs from that. Any last advice for our listeners? Well, again, Grandmama was right. An ounce of prevention is worth about 10 pounds of cure. It's really important that if you know you're sensitive in this time of year, the sooner you get on these medicines and do this for yourself, the better you're going to do long term. Dr. Galen Marshall is the director of the Division of Clinical Immunology and Allergy at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Dr. Marshall, thank you so much. Karen, it's always a pleasure. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for local Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Money Talks. Then at 10, in legal terms. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app in any mobile store. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, now offering an online master's degree in teaching. A state license can be earned after the first summer semester with an opportunity to teach grades 7 through 12. Accepting applications now through May. More information at education.olemiss.edu.